0: if you didn't know it we will have we will have adversaries in life it comes with living in a fallen world that's a given the question is what do we do about them how do we handle them well when i read this psalm with my carefully upon the text i and you we have an example of how David handled his problems, his troubles. You you will see the ways he describes it, distresses. And what you will notice here, and this is just a bit of an aside, if you will uh, allow me this, please, that uh, I want to say something about what is happening in this psalm. This is a meditation and a prayer. A meditation. No extra charge for this. This is a mini, mini, mini sermon on meditation. What is it? Meditation is getting scripture on your mind and letting it marinate there. Okay? Let it soak. Let it soak. And it's thinking about God in his presence. It's intentional. And you're going to, you have an example of it in this song. You can see what's happening. It's this is way he's thinking about God. He's praying back and forth. It goes through, and probably he's saying it out loud. I mean, the word one of the, the word for meditate is a word that has sort of a mutter, kind of an automatopoetic sound: muttering, 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 muttering. But I want to encourage you to make meditation or renew yourself in this if you already know this hopefully you do that this is this is an important part of your dedicated time with the lord it's a dedicated time doesn't mean that you walk away from god for the rest of the day but you are dedicated to really get your mind down tight on scripture now meditation is not letting your imagination run free This kind of stuff goes around quite popularly in uh, Christians' evangelical circles today. Uh, Letting your mind just sort of free range, and then just waiting for God to text you. (laughs) Oh, God texted me this morning. I got it right from Him. You already have it in His Word. The thing is to meditate and lock in on it and see what He's saying. Now that takes some work, takes some effort, but there are rewards and meditation i'll say this and we'll get back to psalm 25 meditation it's a discipline it has to be worked at plan a time have a have a a method nothing wrong with method god uses methods he uses habits he uses these things so as we draw near to him as we seek to get his mind about our troubles now that that right there ought to be enough to push us everybody here you've got troubles i've got troubles we won't share all those troubles but we've got them and here's this psalm now in front of us now one other thing this is you know what david's doing in this song we went over this for those of you are not here i won't repeat all that introductory mat material but this part's worth just visiting again a little bit. David singing the blues. Do you know that the lament psalms were the blues? Biblical blues. And what's going on in blues songs? They're songs of sorrow. They are songs that, uh, well, I was speaking with a friend earlier, uh, right before the service, about her growing up time. Did she like the blues, and we got to talking, and I, I just happened to, have, I got re really interested in this again about Muddy Waters. You, you white folks probably don't know who that is. But, uh, muddy Waters, it's, it's, it's not a hydrological uh, explanation. It's singing the blues. And this is the, this is the music that the children of disappointment sang. This is why, quite frankly, many of the uh, Negro spirituals were what? Roll on Jordan. Uh, Nobody knows the troubles I had. I think probably a lot of times white folks think that, yes, I know, I really have a hard time balancing my checkbook sometimes and so forth. But... There is a legacy, there is a remembrance of a generation of forebears who went through slavery and sang these songs hopefully. Now, with this distinction now this is another many, many, mini, mini sermon Lament psalms, unlike blues, so many of the blues at all. Uh, lament psalms function for Israel, because look what happened with them. Israel, 400 years in slavery. Then they go out into the wilderness. That was no picnic. That was no 40-year stroll in the park. Difficulties. And then Israel, she got herself in trouble. She just couldn't get it through her thick head. You know, if you obey God, things are gonna be better for you. And so you find so much, that's why 50 of the 150 psalms are lament psalms. And many of are community, what are called community lament psalms. It's everybody's singing the blues. Actually, that comes out in this psalm. it just hit me again as i looked at well i won't tell you where but it comes out for singing the blues together and so here is israel singing these songs david this is a song a poem and i i know analyzing it as carefully as i attempt to do here sometimes i feel like it's kind of like taking the petals off a flower Take it, look at it, and drop it. What happens to the flower? I hope that doesn't happen here with this psalm. Wonderful. The psalms really lend themselves to this, as if you didn't know that. That's that's enough about the lament psalms, the blues, songs of sorrow, appreciating them. Oh, I left out a punchline there. That can happen. The reason is, with the history, I wrote it down. Without the history of God's faithfulness, get it, without the history of God's faithfulness, the people's laments lack their essential force. That's the difference between biblical blues and just feel sorry for me blues. Biblical blues, it's the faithfulness of God. And that's what puts them, put Israel and put David in a predicament. God, I know you're faithful. But it's almost as if he sort of grabs God by the lapel and says, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> but it's because he loves God. God loves him. He's not being sassy, not impudent. And that's, that's where we are. Okay, let's see what we've got here in front of us. Here's what David's singing about. I've chosen to think of it in terms of big God, little God, was not an original hitting, but I thought it was very really, really helpful. That do, the question is Is your God big enough to take you through the difficulties, the problems, the troubles of life? Is He? Do the problems of life, or do the problems of life, chase you off to medication and psychotherapy? Oh, that's where, or oh, the, the latest hot book. In the self-help section, the Christian bookstore, or online. I'm not disparaging that there are books like that that are written that can be helpful if these writers are rooted in the scriptures. That's, that's a given. But be careful that we don't run off in directions away from what scripture is sufficient. God's sufficient. And that's what we have before us. Now, what are the circumstances of David? No need to go through them. He was in trouble all his life. And he didn't live a charmed life. Ah, yes, ah, you could say, yeah. He was good looking. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He's kind of a renaissance man. He had it all. But let me tell you, David had his troubles. A lot of them. He brought some of them on himself. We'll go through that. Now, so that you might, let me, let me put it, I've got this frame I want to put around this psalm again, knowingly so. I've said, we, we're people who have, our problems, our troubles. Think of it this way. Let's leap over into the gospels. Just, need to turn there, but just go over to the gospels. What did Jesus face during his life? It was not smooth sailing. He had troubles all along the way. Was his God big enough? Absolutely. He was constantly on speaking terms with the heavenly Father. Jesus was God but he has subordinated himself to the, to the Father in the work of redemption on this earth. The religious establishment, they hated his message. What was his message? Why did they get so, Why did they want to kill him? Because it was one of, if I may, it was grace alone and faith alone. You don't get there by doing all these deeds and this genuflexing and alms and phylactery on the forehead and observing the Sabbath down to uh, meticulous micro detail. They hated him. The religious people hated him. He got pushed back from them constantly. They accused him of blasphemy and then they finally they killed him. Then there was the political class. What did they think? Oh, the pompous politicians. They wanted no part of it. You track it. Jesus was merely a political outlier at best. What was more important to them? Power. Power. Is he threatening our power? If they deemed that he was not, then okay, you, you take care of him. And then there was the intellectual class. Well, Jesus, he didn't travel to Athens, Greece. But I will tell you what, the Apostle Paul did, and he went with the message of Jesus to Athens, and you get it in Acts 17. And his message comes through the Apostle Paul, but how did the intelligentsia, how did academia treat him? How did Harvard Yard respond to the Apostle Paul, the message of Jesus? This man's a seed picker. He just picks up thought here and there. And this supernaturalism, Resurrection? you got to be crazy. Hey, we'll talk about it some other day. That was the intellectual class. Push back. Push back against Jesus. And then there was the revolutionary class. Oh, there were the hot hits. We're going to bring it down. Insurrection? Revolution. They didn't have any time for humility and repentance. No way. No way. That's that's sissy stuff. We're going to get it. We're going to carry daggers under our clothes. And we're going to get in crowds. And we're going to come up behind the power people. We're going to bind the soldiers and just, ah! And what are we going to do to stir up anger and riots and hatred into overthrowing the Roman government? Their quest was to save the world by political insurrection and terrorism. We're going to save the world by our own might. We just get the right politicians in there. Everything will be good. And then, get this one, this, we were Jesus' enemies. Well, you say I wasn't there. I'd have, been, I'd have been courteous to him. I'd have hung on every word. Really? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled we shall be saved by his life romans 5 10 we were his enemies and you know what he did what he did he died for us thank you lord died for us now here's where we go we have three movements through this psalm we've seen the first two the question is is your god big enough to help you with your enemies we got plenty of them do i need to rehearse those those? no and secondly we saw the movement in this psalm, is your God big enough to guide you? David is very much interested in being guided, being taught and going along the path, the right paths. That's, you can see that theme work its way through this psalm because he wants, guide me in paths of right, Psalm 23, guide me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I want to make the right decisions. I want to, I want to say the right things. This is where we've come. Now, before us, we've got this next step. Uh, is your God big enough to forgive you? Yes. Uh, that might be a little surprise, but when you read the psalm carefully, you, you, can, you want to look at it, and I'll, I'll show you just a couple of places. We, we have to treat, this is not like Paul's letter to the Romans and to the Galatians, where you can just follow this uh, legal map and walk right through what's happening in the courtroom. This is, David, it's meditation, it's prayer, it's emotion, he's thinking, he's, he's, he says this. Uh, look at verses uh, six and seven. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. Get that remember, remember, remember. Remember. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Oh, this comes up again in verse uh, 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. What's going on here? I, that's quite frankly, When I first went through this psalm many years ago, I thought, why does he seem to be uh, a little off balance or confused about, uh, he saying, I need forgiveness. What did he do? What did he do? We're familiar with Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, where those were psalms written in the context of David's adultery, but you don't get the kind of language and even the degree of fervency in specifics here that you do in those two psalms. So the interpreter is saying, what is this? What did he do? Let's, let's track it a little bit. This will help us, really a big help. But he is conscious of his spiritual failure. We know that. Why did the psalmist sense his need for forgiveness? And I've pointed you to a couple of verses that underscore that. And I think uh, for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, as you grow older, let's start there. Because David is older. He's talking about his youth here. He's looking back. As we grow older, and as we grow older in the faith, older and and been believers for a while, we come to know ourselves better than we did when we were young. Does anybody want to argue that point? (laughs) If you do, you may may still be an emotional teenager. (laughs) That we tend to become more uh, uh, focused. Were alert and when we were young what was it about the fact that we were young I can reminisce you can reminisce it's not necessarily pleasurable and I got to doing this the other day and I was getting a little mildly depressed I was converted when I was 14 but listen coming out of the starting blocks I look back there, here's what happens. We get wrapped up in ourselves in our youth. We're proud. We're self-sufficient. I, I can do anything. I can jump in. I can swim across that lake. Oh, really? We read what happens there in the papers. Uh, we're thinking about clothes. Uh, we never stop thinking about clothes, but when you're... Am I going to fit in? The last thing I'd want to do would be to go to school and be wearing something that's out of keeping with what everybody else is wearing. So you got that peer pressure that is incredibly fierce in those years. Hair, looks, how do I look in this mirror Comparing yourself? And social media is really taking this off the charts. Because people post these things, their best pictures, poses, you know. Don't I look good? Could you write in and say, we like the way you look. You really look good. And uh, so you, those things can kind of stir us up in impressions, temptations. All right, I'm not putting down being young and being a teen. I mean, that's, thank God. There's a lot that goes with it that's good. Boy, the energy that you can have for God. Oh, and you get, if you get saved when you're a teenager, it can have a lot of real benefit. Okay, can't stay there. So here's what we see. What I want to propose to you is I want to give you a little preface. I want to work on this for a minute. I want to say, first of all, I've got three questions I want to bring to your attention. They're in your notes. So let's, we're going to expand them. Why do we need forgiveness? That's the first one. All right, we have to think. First of all, I will use the terminology, there's judicial forgiveness, and then there's parental forgiveness. Stay with me on this. In this judicial repentance or or forgiveness that's needed, how can just, excuse me, how can God be just while doing it? Think immediately, think immediately. You know, you got to go, just get there fast. The cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. What, how can God be merciful? He's merciful. He's loving. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. How can he be merciful and just at the same time? Because he can't look the other way at sin. So we're in some real trouble. But what happened? The Christology 101. Jesus came and bore our sins, wasn't guilty, perfect life, perfect life, and he lived this perfect life, and yet he went and bore our punishment on the cross, and his death satisfied the justice of God. And by faith in Christ, in him alone, then God's mercy is free to flow, you're his, forgiven. I had a marginal note for myself, but I don't think I'll play it long because it's news just getting tired of hearing it. all this, all this trial talk, all this. Who's on trial? You know, if I, if I hear any more about Hunter Biden's laptop and uh, Biden and Trump and their legal problems and this, that, and the other, it was enough, enough, enough. Okay, but there's a lesson to be learned here. There are laws. There are lawyers, there are trials, there are judgments, and there's a judge. Put it in the biblical framework. We are all in court and we are guilty. So we say guilty of sin? <laughs> exactly. We're guilty. And Jesus is the judge has borne our sins himself on the cross. So that therefore in that forgiveness that he offers, that the, the language we're going to look at here in a, in a moment, We need that judicial forgiveness. There is therefore now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. We're free. We're free in Christ, in him. And then there is what we must know as family. Family or parental forgiveness. What is this? Well, here we know this, that as believers we don't stop sinning. We can stumble in many ways, James 3, 2 says. Romans 3 indicates that you know, we sin overtly. We can sin with our thoughts, immorality, greed, idolatry, sins of omission. James four seventeen. therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it to him, it is sin. Then, we, of course, we got the sins of youth and the sins of middle age. There's, there's sins that come in a little different kind of uh, different clothes at different stages of life really didn't finish out my thought when I was saying about why is he so conscious of sins and I said that he is thinking back to his youth but you know there are some things that can come in and there are certain sins some start knocking at the door as you get older hello oh I don't don't know who who are you and you find out there are other kinds so we're never we're never away from those temptations and those sins so what do we do Well, oh, and we have sins of omission. This is the scary one. You think, well, you know, the best of my memory, I've dealt with this. I've asked the Lord to forgive me. And yes, I was climbed up fool's hill there. That was stupid. That was wrong. Oh, my, was I really full of myself when I said that and did that and so forth and um, said those things. I can't call them back, but thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. But what about the things we haven't done that we should do? That barks at us. So here we are. Now, let me just walk you through a little vocabulary. You want some of that? I'll show you some of you like to take notes. I know my wife has got a study Bible in front of her that's got some big time notes. So she's checking me out on this. That you notice that he uses the language transgressions. You see that term here? What is this word, the Hebrew word? It's in, in verse uh, 7. In verse 7 where he says, uh, Yes, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. This is my rebellious acts to be a transgressor, stepping over the line. It's it's bad, bad stuff, and by this word, transgression. Acts of rebellion, just high-handed, like David's adultery. High-handed. David, what were you thinking? You you couldn't deal with that situation and... mm. And then there is the the word iniquity that's used in verse 11. What's that word mean? Well, that word uh, means shortcomings, uh, evil, uh, another way of looking at sin, corruption, guilt. So there is all that. Now, I got another question. First question, why do we need forgiveness? Because we're sinners, and even as believers, we have to have cleansing. We need to have our cleansing. We have once bathed, always bathed. I'm going to John 13, when Jesus told his disciples, all right, I know that you are bathed and that you're regenerated, and you're renewed. But Peter said, well, I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. Jesus said, you better, because that's where you take care of the, the micro. We do it all the time. You know, just remind yourself of this. I'll just state it and move on. When you go home, are you more, I have become more conscious of, First thing I do when I've been out shaking hands and wherever I've been, again, wash my hands. I wash my hands. I wonder how I got through many years when I didn't, but uh, uh, we have to wash our hands, the hands of our soul as Christians, and we need that cleansing. All right, with that, second question. Second question, how do we receive forgiveness? How do we receive? Well, to receive forgiveness... There is in judicial sins, that is, I'm before God, a judge, sinner, uh, condemned. I need what? I need to reach out with the hand of the heart and receive by faith in Christ. I need repentance. So he uses the word, look at the word, in verse 11, he uses the word pardon. There are, two different, there are three different words for pardon in Hebrew. Two of them are used in this passage. The one in verse 11, and then there's one in Verse 18. I'm particularly drawing attention to this set when in verse 18, see it there? Forgive, forgive. The Hebrew word there, it's used over 600 times in the Old Testament. It means to lift up. The idea is lift up, carry away. I can't get this off of me. I need help. Reminds me of some of those guys in the gym. (laughs) They're over there doing bench presses. Uh, If you want to really play with your rotator cuff, get over there and try that. And I watch these guys. They're some real muscled up guys. And somebody, and they've just they got too much. And it's, it's coming down. And this guy comes over, lifts it up, puts it on the rack for them. Not a very good complete analogy. But you know what God does in forgiveness? He takes up that guilt which we have hanging over us. It's pressing down on us. We can't do anything about it. And he takes it up and he carries it away. Moves it. Love these words. And when you talk about the New Testament words, they're, they're beautiful Precious words to describe this freedom. So therefore, what we do? We ask for it. We have a broken spirit. He says, don't remember. Now, this gets a little interesting when you think about the omniscience of God. Doesn't God know everything? Well, yes. We're not left in any doubt about that. Omniscient. So he's asking, remember not. Well, what's he asking God to do? I'll come back around to this toward the end of... uh, the psalm but he's not asking God could he have a little could you have some momentary amnesia uh, on, on this matter but you know there are different ways of using the word remember it's like a husband and wife is maybe a husband and wife have a bit of a tiff and they get into some verbal exchange and they start sending some verbal missiles across the way and it turns out to be a pretty bad episode and one that doesn't just fade with time easily and but you know there are two ways you can remember that you can the wife can with her hands on her hip Well, you remember that time well just in case you forgot i'm going to remind you words like that or it could be remember not oh honey we've asked forgiveness and i love you and thank god isn't his forgiveness good and then we can have this free and open walk together now so you know you can remember it in two different ways uh, so he's asking god don't remember don't hold it against me that's it he said don't hold them against me that which i did in my youth now uh, there's another question here how do we do it i wanted to say a little bit about uh, repentance here but i will say it oh, uh, let me go through that i got an i got a great illustration from my friend tony uh Tony helps me from time to time with illustrations. Uh, he's got his, got a book. He, he's full of illustrations. Okay. Who listened to him this morning? Anybody? Bill, did you hear him this morning? While you're thinking about that answer, uh, did anybody? Okay, well, all right, you're new to it. All right, here's, this I thought was a great illustration of how confession and grace and forgiveness work. It works, uh, think of the, of the believer. You're going down the road and you are no realize you're on the wrong road you're on the wrong maybe you missed your exit whatever you're going the wrong direction you should be going that way you're going that way what do you do well your exit ramp is confession if we confess our sins he's faithful and just forgive us now you don't want to keep going down i'm not doing a good job as tony did with all this he embellished it but you you don't want to keep going down the road hey i'm good i'm good no you're not you, you're moving away from where you ought to be so you confess but then you go up and then you take a left turn and you go across the bridge that's the bridge of grace god's put grace there to no no uh, merit on your part and so Grace then carries you over and you get over on the other side, and that's, that's restoration. And you get down and you get to going back in the direction you ought to be going. Repentance describes this process. And you get turned around and you get where you ought to be. And that ought to go happen in our daily lives as believers. And this is what he's saying, all right. Let's answer this one other question here. On what basis do we receive forgiveness? Well, the answer is, it's because of who God is. Compassion, loving kindness, understanding. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Goodness. Now, when he mentions goodness, do you see that uh, terminology? It's in verse, uh, where where is it? Verse 8. See that? Good and upright is the Lord. There's a lot more hanging on that than you might read if you just breeze right by it. Because the way he uses the Hebrew word tov, good. It's bigger than the way we use it. We've kind of uh, dumbed it down. We can say trite little things like, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. No, really? <laughs> when it's used of God, it really encompasses all of God's perfections. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's kind. He, and so on. And he's forgiving. So good. What does he say? What he's saying is that here, because of the perfections of God, because of the perfections of God, he can come to us and forgive us so that his character shines so brightly that it's just, it just it's dazzling the way he can, because of forgiving us of our sins. Now, before I leave this, let me just say one thing about something that could be missed easily how did old testament saints go through forgiveness of sin Have you thought about that you read the old testament you think yeah i'll tell you one thing you ought to remember when you wanted to deal with your sins under the old testament sacrificial system you have work to do (laughs) think of it now we can say oh lord i confess my sin and forgiveness you don't have to go to the stockyard or to a neighbor or if you have your own flocks and get a bull or get a goat, get a sheep, and you gotta take it to the priest, and it's gotta cut its carotid, and it's gonna bleed all the place. And then they gotta cut it in parts and they gotta put it on that altar. And it's gotta go up and it's gotta be burned. Now, what, what, what you have is that you have this process through which they had to go. There were burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings, uh, different phases of forgiveness. You had to do that to get forgiveness. I mean, and it, they were, these were valid if you went with the right heart about it. Now, you could do it just uh, going through the steps, just making it mechanical, hey, offer this. That's why the prophet said God told, was it Isaiah, I hate your new moons and your sacrifices. Yeah, well, God, you gave them to us but you can't use ritual in process as a substitution for obedience in a heart of faith. So in the Old Testament, I'm a little, off, a little off here, but I plan to say this so you'd understand what the Old Testament believers had to do with sin. There was confession, there was repentance, but you had protocol through which you had to go to deal with it, and the whole community had to do it as well. That's why you had the Day of Atonement once a year. That's, but then, oh, we could run we could run to where Jesus died on the cross in the book of Hebrews and says, it's finished, it's finished, it's done. My work has been complete. it's completely satisfactory. You just feel the, thank you Lord for what you've done in your grace. All right, well that's it. Now, one final question here, or not a question, a statement. It's a declarative statement. Is your God big enough to depend on in times of trouble? And this really runs on down through the end of this chapter, verses 15 to 22. Uh, let me point something out to you. If you've got your Bible, you could circle these things. It's, they're quite uh, eye-catchy. Uh, David, the way he describes his troubles, do you see the one where he says his feet were in a net? These perplexing situations. Lord, keep me from stumbling over my own feet, doing sinfully stupid things. And then he uses the word lonely men, they treated him as a stranger and refused to have anything to do with him. He was ostracized. And then uh, he uses the word afflicted. That means broken by circumstances. That he was defenseless. See, the, the words used here do give different uh, shades in this prism of, 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 of uh, difficulty and trials and suffering. And then he uses the word distresses in verse 17. This is the internal pressure, the distress. This is the enemy who is after him. You know, you go through this. Some you say, "What in the world was happening to him?" This sounds like a man's about to have a nervous breakdown. No, no. Oh, I could, I should insert this. You know, you can be lonely with God or without God. You can. Now they're saying I saw this on the news recently that somebody the Surgeon General has declared loneliness is sort of a number one or two uh, cultural, societal problem today people because of uh, isolation, COVID-19, and we got more single people living by themselves now, and the, it's an epidemic, this loneliness. And I, th- I said, "Wonder, do I get lonely? Do you, do you get lonely?" You're thinking. Well, does that mean i got to have people around me all the time? Every day, a party of some kind? Or just talk endlessly on the phone? All right, I'm, I'm probably opening up more than we can treat at the moment, but I will say this. You can be lonely with God or without God. And there is a sanctified kind of loneliness, aloneness, being with God. All right, I hope I've not troubled you with that, but I will move on to what he says. He's got trouble verses 18, verse 18. That's pain, misery. And so David's life was just filled with enemies. People wanted his life, wanted to destroy his reputation, didn't like him. Now, I want to get, I'll get a little more personal. Trials can come in a variety of sources. I just want to unpack this thing, make sure we're doing, um, doing do justice to what David is going through here. I have not forgotten the fact that his enemies, that oppression of his enemies, it has stirred up a lot of things. It stirs the pot. But here... We can create our own problems. I have to convince you of that. We can make, to give you a little reviews if we needed it, but I will. We can make snap decisions. We make say, oh, why did I say that? Why would I do that? Why would I go there? We can procrastinate. Look at all this trouble I've got. Now, I'm not handling what I procrastinated, so I'm procrastinating handling what I procrastinated. We ignore problems. We sin. We don't control our tongues. Oh, I've revisited that passage and and I said it in front of the mirror this morning. Uh, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but such a word as is good for edification, it, uh, and it will help those, uh, help uh, be of help to others, and it will give grace to those who hear. I, I need that one. We don't discipline our children. For those who still are in that ring, we don't manage our money well. We let relationships deteriorate. We fail to fulfill our responsibilities. We lust, we don't control our thoughts. We worry, we, bl- we shift blame. We don't confront when we should. My children left me because I constantly provoked them to anger and dealt with them harshly. And the list goes on and on. What do we do? We can create our own problems. All right, but we're also, if that's not enough I'm gonna take you into the cellar a little further. We'll come out of it. But we're drawn into problems of the problems of others. We're committed to people who are out of control, who sin, It can be your own family, it can be your own children, it can be your spouse. They disappoint us, people mess up. We're sinned against by, by people and it hurts us deeply. We're, we're attacked by those who are not friendly to the gospel. Oh, we, in our culture, you can just, you feel the vibrations? This culture, it does not like biblical Christianity. Have you missed that? <laughs> I mean, we are public enemy number. You know who's at the top of the list for being accepted and approved and should be given all their due rights and their human dignity? Those who are aligned themselves with the LBGTQ agenda. You know who's at the bottom of the pyramid who are dangerous, who are angry and mean and hypocritical? Christians. That's what's happened. Better people can be a pain. Oh, Adam, he's the cause of this suffering. Adam, what were you thinking? Yeah, but we response, we're responsible. We, we sin when he sinned. We all sin. It's the curse of creation and so forth. And Satan delights. Oh, talk about the master architect for our destruction in this life as much as he can get away with. Satan delights in sending pain to God's people. Peter said it, look out. He goes around as a roaring lion seeking who may devour. Think of that the next time you watch a movie and you see the lion roaring as it becomes, before the movie comes on. All right, just think. All right, you know, it reminds me that Satan goes about as a roaring lion. He had loved nothing better than to have me for lunch. What's he doing in your life to have you for lunch? All right, so what do we do when we're crushed, when we're in pain and we have troubles? All right, we're in the right place. We're in Psalm 25. First of all, we turn to God. That's humility. He uses this term. David humbled himself. To thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Turn to me. Bring me out. Look upon me. Guard. crowd to God. Prayer. Go to God. Staying in a praying mood. He said, my eyes are continually toward the, toward the Lord. See, You see what he's working on in this psalm? He doesn't stay in the pits. He doesn't stay there in that cellar. Not at all. And so... He knows himself, but to turn to God in humility. And you can pull me out. And then you approach God as a person. God is a person. He's not a force. He's not, in, he's not uh, artificial intelligence. Ugh. Artificial intelligence. Everybody's running scared. We're, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to have artificial intelligence. It's going to tell. I'm going to lose my job. Stay calm, folks. God rules sovereignly over every, every item of information, every fact, every, every error, everything he rules to accomplish his purposes. And so what the psalmist does here in going to God as a person, he, turn, he appeals to God's faithfulness and love. See, that's meditation. You think, well, what's that mean? The psalmist, he attempts to move God to action by depicting his situations as one of utter disgrace and intense suffering. And he just opens, he's open with God. Lord, last thing I want to do is make all my enemies say, told you so, told you so. I don't want that. No. Lord, please hold me fast. Do you see and know God as a living, thinking, feeling person? Too often we can approach God as if he's some computer. No. Try to hit the right keys. That's ritual. No. Trust in God, confidence in him. And I I will say this about this trust in God. I'm interested in the words that he uses here. See in verse one, in thee I trust. That's that sense of that trust is that leaning on him, security that comes with leaning on him. And I take refuge. What's that refuge mean? It means I am confident that as I think his thoughts and I work through life. I, when I have problems, that God stands between me and my troubles. Aha, that's it. God stands between me and my troubles. And if you will look at it that way and you're seeing God, then I'm not saying your troubles are all going to go running away, but you're going to get a handle. You're going to, you're going to see how God is sufficient to help in all those ways. Now, with this, I close. I'm interested in this last verse, and I'm I'm just going to give it a, I'm going to look at it, well, not just out of the corner of my eye, but I think we need to see it. You see verse 22? This is kind of, uh, I've been doing so much reading on this psalm, I, I can swerve off and get too technical at times but some of the interpreters are a little bit flummoxed by this because here he ends. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Wait a minute, David. David, it's been you, God. Now you're saying the nation. You know what I think? I think this is well-founded. That he broadens his scope here, uh, this, this need of redemption to the whole nation because after all, He's essentially, as the king of Israel, he's, he's God's he's proxy for rulership. Oh, he's God's proxy for rulership over the nation. And he couldn't help but have that sense of nationhood, like, we're in this together. And you know what? They sang, the, Israel sang this psalm together. It was like, we're in this together. That's what David said. And I, I would say then, it would be another sermon, thinking of the church and where the church is today it's not looking good in, in many ways the, the professing church of Jesus Christ and won't we'll go through the dirty laundry at this point but I will tell you there's trouble there are things to be deeply concerned about and what David is saying about his troubles this nation has to say about their troubles and to see, is their God big enough to help, enable them to deal with their troubles? Is he big enough to give them guidance? Is he big enough to give them forgiveness? Is he big enough to help us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil? He is big enough. I came across this. I thought it might be a good conclusion. I have to read it because uh, I wish my memory was as good as as. It was not all that good, but a little better than it is. I'm going to read this. This is a good... Harry Ironside told this story, and it has to do with a psalm. You say, who in the world is Harry Ironside? I thought that was a ship. No, that's Ironside. That's something else. Harry Ironside was... He, he, he died the year 1951 when I was 10 years old. But I soon as I became a Christian, I began to hear about his books, his preaching, he was revered and he was a saved when he was, a, his father died when he was very young. He was converted at an early age and just went right out of the starting blocks for God. He worked with the Salvation Army for some years and then he went to work on Indian reservations for 13, 14 years in the gospel. He was pastor in the Moody Church for 13, 18, 15 years and just traveled around the world. And he told this story. And he said, and he, this comes up in his commentary on the Psalms. And he, in his commentary, he tells of this, of a visiting a very old Christian. The man was about, tw- about 90 years old. And he had lived a godly life. However, in his last days, he sent for Ironside because, as he expressed it, Everything seems so dark. Uh, like David looking back, oh, the youth, sins of my youth, and so on. Whatever do you mean? asked Ironside. You have known the Lord for nearly 70 years. You've lived for Him a long, a long time. You have helped others. Whatever do you mean, dark? Well, the man replied in my illness since I have been lying here so weak my memory keeps bringing up the sins of my youth and I cannot get them out of my mind they keep crowding in upon me and I cannot help thinking of them they make me feel miserable and wretched Ironside turned to the psalm and he read the verse in which David prays and you just heard it a little while ago Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. 25-7. After he read the words, he said, When you came to God 70 years ago, you confessed your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Do you remember what happened then? The old man couldn't remember. Ironside said, Don't you remember that when you confessed your sins, God said, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more? If God has forgotten them, why should you think about them? The man relaxed, replied, I'm an old fool remembering what God has forgotten. He, fa- he, found, he found peace because what had happened he had found peace because he had been instructed in the nature of God in God's ways beloved find peace find hope are you there with your hope Is you standing on hope it's a real thing it's a real thing when you have this hope fixed upon the Lord uh, there'll be troubles but let God always be between you and them thank you for christ lord we thank you for our savior thank you for christ on that cross taking those blows and lord oh now we're going to worship you at this table thanking you for the sacrifice that's all sufficient thank you in christ's name amen amen